The views and opinions expressed on the Middle Class VO podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests. Any feelings hurt therein are an unfortunate byproduct of the quest for infotainment. Also, please be reminded that concerted efforts have been made so as not to put anyone's knickers in a twist. Having one's knickers in a twist is not an objective or goal. However, if your knickers are in a twist and it persists for more than four hours, please seek out a physician. Moreover, if anyone were to feel besmirched by any of the commentary on the Middle Class VO podcast, it would be purely coincidental. No besmirchment is intended. Please enjoy. Coming up on the Middle Class VO podcast. This is Chicago's very own WGN News at 9. You're watching WXYZ, where 7 stands for news. Live from WXIA TV in Atlanta, you're watching 11 Alive News at 11. Breaking news from ABC 7. From Studio 3A, NBC 4, live at 7. This is CBS 2 News at 5. If you need e-learning, we're just an email away. Corporate narration, tell us what to say. Explain a video, imaging radio, slinging local cars, reading IVR. No, we ain't no stars. This is the Middle Class VO Podcast. The Middle Class VO Podcast. The Middle Class VO Podcast. My goodness. What a talent. Uh, Bob Tracy is joining us on the Middle Class VO Podcast. Bobby, what did you think of his uh, affiliate work there? The first thing was like, I've heard of this guy. I've heard this voice before many, many times. So I can't wait to get into the beef of it, how he got there and uh, how much he's still in and everything. Yeah, a lot of people will know the voice. And we are so excited to have him on the Middle Class VO Podcast. Bob Tracy. Bob, welcome to the Middle Class VO Podcast. Kevin, Bobby, great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. We are uh, so glad to have you on, Bobby. And and I was telling Bobby this, um, that your and I's history, we are way back to 1994. Oh my goodness, really? That far back? <laughs> it is, Bob. In, in Fort Lauderdale at a studio there, I was producing Bob. He, he was coming into the studio as a voice talent, and I was the guy producing him. But that's how uh, mine and Bob's relationship goes back and Bob is a uh, an affiliate TV voice among many other things that he does. But Bob, uh, tell us first off, how did you because you come from radio, I already know that part of your story. Tell us how you made the transition from radio into full-time voice work. I got fired and I was praying my butt off. <laughs> That's how I did it. <laughs> you know, which, you know, surprisingly was the only time I got fired. You know, um, the first time I was on stage, I was three years old. We were on a vacation resort in the Pocono Mountains in New Jersey. And uh, they showed a little movie for entertainment in the summertime. So for some reason, the movie had been delayed. I'm three years old, no prodding from my mother or father. I get up out of my seat. I walk up to the stage. I grab the microphone and I say, the movie has been delayed, but I'll sing you a little song. Shaving a haircut, two bits, who's getting married? Tom Hicks, who is a Goomba? Harry Carey. And I sing this song and I get a nice round of applause. 
My father turns to my mother. My mother turns to my father. And they both say, did you send him up there? And they both say, no. My father proceeds to come up to the stage and grab me off the stage. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm killing. What are you doing? You know, leave me alone. (laughs) He takes me back to my seat and I sit there. And I can remember that like it was yesterday. And from that point on, pretty much any chance I got to be on stage or be in a show or do something in school or, you know, lip sync the Tom Jones live in Las Vegas record in our living room to any visiting family or friends who would, who would sit through it, I would do it, you know, which I think is kind of a similar story for all of us. I was watching Jimmy Kimmel the other night and he was talking about stuff he did. I was listening to your podcast with JJ, you know, a guy I remember when his father called my mother one day and asked her for the cash call jackpot amount. So I think, wow. I think we all kind of have similar stories. So anyway, in school, you know, I was in chorus one year, I think it was the third grade and it was the Christmas concert and we were supposed to wear a white shirt with a red tie and I didn't have a white shirt. I had a light blue shirt with a red tie and I think the the instructors saw my blue shirt and just picked me at random and said, Robert, we want you to go out there in front of us and when we sing a song, you will announce the song before we sing it. Okay, got it. We will now sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and people would applaud. (laughs) And I I just stayed with that until eventually, you know, I realized that, uh, you know, God was listening and paying attention because When I was in high school, I was part of the normal morning announcements show that we used to do in high school. And our 10th grade math teacher said, you know, hey, there's a radio station out in California that's in a high school. What do you think about having a high school radio station here? And over the next couple of years, we proceeded to put a radio station on the air at Piper High School in Sunrise, WKPX 88.1. That's still on the air. Meantime, while I'm in the 10th grade, he's working at a radio station. He says, hey, we got an overnight spot open. Why don't you make a tape? I'll take it in. Next thing you know, I get the job. It's midnight to 9 a.m. on a WFTL in Fort Lauderdale, 1001 a.m. station. And I'm in radio and I'm working professionally at 16. While there, this is where the voiceover thing comes up. Old timers who are hardened and crusty say to me in their nicotine entrenched <laughs> vocal cords, you know, covered in whiskey, they say, hey, kid, if you're too stupid to get out of this business and get a decent job, why don't you learn to do voiceovers? To which I like, hey, hey, mister, you know, what's voiceovers? And they're like, well, you know, when the commercials come in, those produced commercials, those are the voiceovers from voice actors. They don't really call them voice actors and they call them announcers. But most of those guys who did those voiceovers back in the 70s and 80s were either actors or they had been thespians with some kind of stage training. And I really started to focus on that because the thing that got my attention was is they said, oh, you know, you can make two or three hundred dollars in 20 minutes. I was like, well, and sign me up, you know, because five (laughs) five dollars an hour working part time in radio isn't really paying the bills. And that kind of opened the whole door into paying attention to doing voiceovers for advertising. And then from that, you know, looking toward television. And television actually came through, you you know, where you and I worked together at KISS FM. You were there after I was there, but, you know, KISS FM in Fort Lauderdale. Can you remember your first TV affiliate gig? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm working at KISS FM, 99.9 KISS Country in Fort Lauderdale, and I just got the go-ahead to buy a house, and then within like six months of buying the house, I get fired from KISS FM. Well, about two years earlier, KISS FM had co-partnered with WTVJ, then Channel 4, now NBC6, and they are doing the New River Raft Race together, which was this thing for the JCs where they raise money by people building rafts and floating down a river. Well, anyway, I got chose to go down to the TV station to do the promo. Hi, I'm Bob Tracy from Kiss Country. Come on out to the raft race. Hi, I'm Tony Segreto from Channel 4, and together we'll see you at the raft race. While I'm there at WTVJ Channel 4, I meet the creative service director, a guy named Paul Kanuski, and I say, Paul, you know, I've really always been interested and wanted to do TV voiceover. He says, oh yeah, well, why don't you make me a tape and send it to me? So I made him a cassette tape and I sent it over to him, and you know, he put it on the shelf, and two or three years passed, and he went on to another job, and I forgot all about the tape. Back to KISS FM, I get fired. It's the first time working in radio in 12 years, working, you know, being blessed by God to work in one market over 12 years, that I get fired, and you know, like I said, I prayed fervently. I went on a lot of job interviews, seeing a lot of friends in the Miami market to get work from. But ultimately, you know, nothing came through until one day a woman named Wendy Kaiser, who was the promotions director at WTVJ, called and said, hey, we're looking for a new announcer. Would you like to come in and audition? And I said, you know, how quickly can you see me? And I went in <laughs> and I auditioned. And uh, she provided me the first opportunity to be a television voiceover booth announcer, as they used to call them back then. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what percentage today is affiliate work of your voiceover? You know, it's probably about 90, 95% of the work. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am a SAG after a voice talent. I know JJ talked about when JJ was on your podcast about being a union talent. Mm -hmm. I was uh, honored to be selected as the voice of the 100th anniversary Ford Motor Campaign. And I was chosen by Bill Ford uh, over actor Bruce Willis was like a great honor to me. And they thought I was already a union talent when that happened. So they produced all the spots they were airing across the country. And then this lady from J. Walter Thompson, the advertising agency, She calls me on the phone and she says, we don't see your union number or any material related to you. I said, well, I'm not union. She's like, you're not union. You have to join today. And I immediately was signed up by them. And, you know, I was on board with the union. That opened the door to other television work because shortly after starting in Miami at WTVJ, I started to market myself to other television stations across the country. And then eventually a station that I picked up in Hartford, Connecticut, WTIC, the Fox station there, they were bought by Tribune Corporation, at which point the creative service director there, a guy named John Mason, called me on the phone and says, Bob, I got good news or maybe bad news. We just got bought by another television uh, group, Tribune, and we may have to get rid of you because among all their stations, they have 47 different announcers and they want to have three announcers. They want to have one guy for radio. uh, I'm sorry, they want to have one guy for entertainment imaging. They want to have one guy for news imaging. And they want to have one backup guy. And I said, okay, well, you know, if I lose the work, I lose the work, but I hope, you know, we stay together. They go to this big meeting in Los Angeles back in 1997. And at the meeting, they 
play my tape along with all the other 47 announcers. At which point, WGN in Chicago says, well, hey, we like that guy right there, Bob Tracy, as our news voice. To which point, the woman who had hired me in Miami, she's now the vice president of creative services at WPIX in New York. Wendy Kaiser stands up and says, hey, well, I gave that guy his start in TV. We want to use him in New York. And then, at that point, most of the other Tribune stations, KTLA in Los Angeles, uh, WGNO in New Orleans, WTIC in Hartford, all said, well, then we're going to use him, too. And that really opened the door to a number of stations, and that's kind of when everything clicked. Man, that is great to hear. And you did all of this while you were in Florida? I did everything from Florida, yeah. Everything, you know, because at that time, the technology was just breaking. When I started working with WTVJ Channel 4, I would literally drive down to Miami from Fort Lauderdale every day, and I would just sort of hang around to the annoyance of most people in the creative services department. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, who's this guy that comes in every day in his suit, and he sits here and just sort of, you know, like eats chips and waits for something to happen? Well, that was really all they needed me to do. They just needed me to kind of come in and hang around, and then maybe there'd be a news promo or maybe there'd be a couple of tags for movie promos or something like that. And I would do my work and then I would leave. Eventually, there became enough work and they were happy enough with my work at the first station where they said, before all the technology that we have, before all the you know great communication ability that we have now, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put in a phone line from Miami to your house in Fort Lauderdale and we're going to get you a little microphone, a little setup. They put in a $4,000 a month class A phone line, which was basically an equalized phone line. And I could record, but I was on a tether. You know, I had to be within 10 minutes of my house in Fort Lauderdale at all times. So it was kind of like paid rehearsal, paid practice. I was there every day practicing. And from that, that's when I realized, you know, after a conversation with Wendy at Channel 4, she said, you know, why don't you do what you're doing for us for other stations? And then I started, you know, marketing and getting out to the other stations and sort of growing everything from there. But yeah, today for me, it's it's 95% television stations. I still audition all the time. Uh, let's see, this week alone, I auditioned to be a slug. I auditioned <laughs> to be a spokesperson for a drug company. I auditioned to be a, a bank spokesperson. Yeah, So, you know, within, within our business, I think you're auditioning all the time. You're constantly performing. You're constantly. Uh, I watched a thing with uh, uh, Meryl Streep the other day, and Meryl Streep was saying the same thing. She said, you know, you think at this point in my career, I'd feel comfortable. No, I still audition. I still get nervous. I'm still afraid the phone won't ring. Wow. That's amazing. Bob, going back to um, being tethered to the studio, I wanted to address, you know, an affiliate work because a lot of people, you know, are want to get into that. Right. But I know there's some really good stuff, but there's some really bad. Uh, break it down for me. A couple of points on the bad side, then a couple of points on the good side about affiliate work. Well, I think, you know, first of all, if you're trying to work for a television station, uh, working as a voice for a television station can be kind of like being a radio disc jockey. Um, When I worked in radio, sometimes I would get teased. Some people say, oh, you sound like Ron Radio. You know, I don't know. The phrase was kind of popular in the 80s and 90s, meaning somebody who could sound like they were on the radio. 721, going to be a cold day today, you know. Uh, (laughs) That kind of radio sound. That still sort of works in some applications. You hear a lot of, you know, 1-800 commercials and things like that where that sound is still looked for. 
for. But uh, one of the things I learned about working in television is in TV, sometimes you do a promo for a concert that's going to be a boy band that's mostly attractive to young girls, maybe six to 16. On the other side of the microphone, two minutes later, you're doing a story about a shooting where a police officer lost his life and we have live coverage beginning at five. So in one case, hey, you want to win this contest. You want to go see these guys. It's going to be a great show. Meanwhile, people have died and we have pictures and we'll show them to you at five. So there's (laughs) more voice acting than there is announcing. Because one of the things I've learned over the last 20 years is if you can act act, then you can act like an announcer when you need to be an announcer. You can act more compassionate. You can act more excited. You can act for the tone and the quality. And for me, I learned that from an old NBC announcer, a guy named Danny Dark. Danny Dark was the voice of NBC all through the like 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s. And if Danny had something that was very entertainment oriented, then he sounded like that, you know, coming up tonight on NBC. It was very happy. It was very up-tempo. On the other hand, if it was something more serious, you know, a special report, Tom Brokaw, tonight on NBC News, it, it had a different flavor. So for me, that's acting, that's voice acting. You know, and in the clip that you played of the work that I've done, you hear a little bit of that. And I think psychosubliminally, everybody sort of has an idea in the back of their head what certain things should sound like. The current sound right now is certainly a lot younger. There's certainly a lot more of a younger, would you say, like millennial or Gen X kind of sound that, Mm -hmm. you know, disenfranchised. They really don't care about this. You should watch it anyway. It's going to be good. Please turn it on. Uh, Which is growing, you know. If you watch NBC Nightly News, the NBC Nightly News announcer is very traditional. This is NBC Nightly News. Meanwhile, over on David Muir on World News Tonight, this is World News Tonight with David Muir. It's it's different. But but again, it's all acting, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, when I worked in radio, the voice that I did all the time was that, hey, 99.9, Kiss Country, going to be exciting. Here's Alabama. You know, it was it was the same <laughs> it was the same kind of flavor all the time. You, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. <laughs> A penny for your thoughts. So what, Bob, are your favorite things about doing TV affiliate work? I think, again, for me, it goes back to the ability that I can act, that I can do different voices and different characters. A couple of years ago, the station I worked for in Charlotte, the uh, Charlotte CW, WCCB in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, had a Comic-Con type of event that they were co-promoting with uh, a local venue. And it had a number of different cosplay type of events that were going to be based on Star Wars. Star Trek, Frozen, um, horror, a varieties of different genres of things that were going to be taking place all sort of under that Comic-Con type of banner. So instead of just reading that as a WCCC, uh, WCCB Charlotte CW invites you to come out to the big event this weekend, I literally did a character voice for every different element and every different aspect of, you know, what was there. So with Star Wars, I tried to, when I said, you know, come and be a part of Star Wars, I tried to sound like Darth Vader. When I said Star Trek, I tried to sound like Spock. When I said Frozen, I actually sang Frozen like a line from Let It Go. (laughs) So for me, I mean, that's the thing that, that 
I enjoy the most about television voiceover imaging work, affiliate imaging work, that you get to be, you know, a whole host of different voices on the same station. Some stations don't want that that much and prefer, no, we just, you know, and they'll give you direction to these types of things. They'll say, well, we just need your mainstream voice on this, you know, just middle of the road, nothing spectacular. On the other hand, I just did something for one of my Fox stations, Fox 47 in Lansing, Michigan, where it's the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. So every October, they play all the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. They turn it into a big event. There's outdoor stadium style events where people are encouraged to come dressed as their favorite horror characters and Simpsons characters. So then, you know, I get to do all these different horror voices that is ultimately turned into 15, 20, and 30 second promos that encourage people to watch, encourage people to come to the event, encourage people to go and participate online. And and that's all you and lab, you're ad-libbing that. That's not something the producer says, hey, Bob, go into character for this. I mean, you're taking it upon yourself to give them layers and levels, right? You know, Bobby, sometimes I have uh, I have a producer. I'm thinking of Jessica that I work with at another CW station. She'll call me and say, like we did uh, last month, there was an event to kick off Batgirl on the CW. And uh, she said, I really want you to try to sound like the announcer that was in the old Batman show. Will Bruce Wayne come back? You know, that, that kind of voice from the 1960s Batman. Mm-hmm. And she gave me clear direction. So, but then I also need you to play the part of Robin. I want you to be Robin, and I want Robin to be very, gee, Batgirl, is that so? Are we really going to make that happen? And, you know, and we even... electronically pitched the voice up more and she turned the whole thing into basically what looked like pages from the comic book Batman of the 1940s and 50s over-colorized it and wanted as many different characters and things. On the other hand, sometimes I just take it upon myself to do two or three normal reads that I know are right and ready to air. And then just for fun, I'll throw in, you know, some creative ideas of my own. Or for example, the ABC 27 that I work with in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, they had a, um, They had a snow promo in which, you know, when there's a snow day, everybody needs to know schools are closed and businesses closed and so on and so forth. So instead of just doing a regular promo, the producers said, do you think there's any chance you could sort of sing this to Alice Cooper's Schools Out for Summer? You know, schools (laughs) out for summer, you know, that kind of thing. So we turned that into schools out for snow day. And she had, you know, (laughs) kids tobogganing and all kinds of cool graphics and everything. So, you know, for me, I've gone from being kind of the quintessential hand over the ear, you know, radio announcer. There used to be a studio in Miami called Lanali Sound Studios. And the guy was Randy Bird who ran the studio. And he had a sign on the announcer booth. And it was actually spelled A-D-O-W-E-Z-R, a dowser booth. And I said to Randy one day, I said, Randy, why is that called the a dowser booth? He said, because most of you guys who come in here sound like a dowsers. You know, And he was, you know, sort of making fun of us, but I got what he was saying because I had already started to pay attention to the people who were working more who are clearly people who have been actors, who came from acting and brought that skill over to announcing and doing voiceover. You know, hence today what we see in animation. I mean, all the major animation products, you know, whether it be Disney or Pixar or whoever, it's all the big stars who are all actors. There are... There are a number of parts that are played by people like ourselves. For example, you guys know Mark Mosley, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Mark Mosley was a radio talent here in South Florida, worked with Bill Tanner for many years, went out to Los Angeles. Well, Mark Mosley is still the singing voice, and in many cases, you know, the speaking voice for Eddie Murphy. Because when Eddie Murphy sings, he sings in a high falsetto voice, so Mark comes in and sings in a normal way. Um, so, you know, there is you know, animation work. So, But for me... It's the acting. It's getting to be creative. It's getting to go back to being three years old and walking up on stage and just doing that same thing, whether it be, you know, this is 11 Alive News at 6 for Atlanta or something more relaxed or something crazy or something goofy or pretending to be a slug where I'm saying, that's right, you really (laughs) want to come to Seattle because Seattle's kind of weird. You know, (laughs) that's that's where it's at for me. Now, you know, I come from a family where my mother is incredibly creative and extremely talented and she was a commercial artist. She has tremendous comedic skills. I've used her in voiceovers and commercials a million times. She has a great voice and does a lot of characters and voices because her father back in the 1940s and 1950s, in the days before TV was the big thing or films, he would literally, you know, just do shtick around the house and put on costumes and wear hats and things and get, you know, my uncles and cousins to work with him. So much so that on Sundays, back in the days of the Sunday family get together for dinner and to hang out, the house would be packed with people from three states that would go to, you know, Jersey City Heights, New Jersey to see my grandpa John put on a show, basically. And that was kind of, you know, that, that, that was sort of the impetus. So I think we all sort of have this creative, artistic gene in us that we want to perform. You know, we want to try to make people's lives better in whatever way we can in a positive, you know, Christ-like way to say, you know, it, it, it's tough, but you can make it through and it's not so bad. And here we go. Bob, this is fantastic. I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but if you've got just another minute or two, I would love to hear two stories uh, that I know about. Yeah. Um, if you have time, would you tell Bobby and I the story about when you went to Chicago and you were recognized for your voice? A buddy of mine, Dan, who works at WGN that I was working with every day, he's in Chicago. I'm in my studio in Fort Lauderdale. He's saying, uh, well, we're getting close to my wedding and everything. And I said, yeah, my invitation still hasn't come in the mail. And he says, oh, you're not going to come to my wedding. You're not going to fly up. to." I said, well, you know, the invitation still hasn't come in the mail. (laughs) Three days later, I get an invitation in the mail. I call him on the phone. I said, I'm booked. I'll be staying at this hotel and I'll look forward to seeing you. He said, really? You're going to come to my wedding? Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Thanks so much. I fly up to Chicago. I book into the Sheridan and I'm standing at the front desk at the Sheridan. And the guy says, hi, can I help you? And I said, hi, you have a reservation for Bob. And and immediately a woman standing to the left as part of like five or six other people that are behind me waiting to book into the hotel. She says to me, why do I recognize your voice? And I said, do you live here in Chicago? She says, yeah, I'm right here. I'm here for a conference today. I said, this is WGN News at 9 with Allison Payne. Steve, you know, and I I started doing it. And everybody, like, in the crowd there suddenly, like, turns and goes, oh, my goodness, I I know your voice. Oh, that's you. And a guy says to me, he says, yeah, that's pretty cool. He said, you know, you couldn't rob a bank. Nobody would know what he looks like. But, yeah, it was that TV guy with the voice. That's going to be really rewarding. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great honor and it's a tremendous blessing. You know, it's like the the time that I, I had an opportunity. A buddy of mine is a vice president with NBC and engineering. 
And we both started at WTVJ in Miami on the same day and basically the same age. Well, he rose very quickly through the ranks of NBC. He built Jay Leno's facility out in Los Angeles when Jay Leno was on at 10 o'clock. And then they brought him to New York to rebuild Brian Williams, then the anchor of the NBC Nightly News is set, and the Saturday Night Live set, which really hadn't been adjusted or modernized in any way since the days of, I think it was Strakowski or one of, it was some famous composer that used to work from the same studio as the Saturday Night Live studio. Anyway, he got to know um, Lorne Michaels, right-hand man, pretty good. You know, Lorne Michaels doesn't really interact too much. Lorne Michaels is kind of a demigod, you know, within the industry. Not many people <laughs> are graced by his presence. So I have always had this kind of dream that I wanted to replace Don Pardo. And, you know, Don Pardo, God bless him, he worked pretty much until the week that he passed away, I think at 95 or 96 years old. One day, Steve calls me on the phone and he says, you know, uh, you know, uh, there might be a consideration for you at the uh, Saturday Night Live. You know, if you want to put a little something together, I'll pass it through the channels and we'll, we'll get it up. I said, yeah, sure. You know, but they're never going to use anybody other than Don Pardo at Saturday Night Live. Live from New York. It's Saturday. You know, it's Don Pardo. <laughs> So uh, I put my demo together and I get all the collateral materials and through the inner office systems, you know, it gets sent up to New York and I don't hear anything. Two or three years goes by and one night I'm on my phone around 11 o'clock and I see a little blurb come on that legendary NBC announcer Don Pardo has passed away. I immediately think of my buddy Steve, but it's too late to call him and his wife at 11 o'clock at night to say, should we send another demo? Is it time to go to work? <laughs> And of course, I want to have respect for Don Pardo. I have great respect for Don Pardo and all of his work. And literally, I find out from my buddy Steve later, he's in bed, like looking at his phone while his wife is reading a book before they go to sleep. And at like 11.06, he sees that Don Pardo has died and he blurts out, quick, I got to call Bob Tracy. Don Pardo has passed away. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, the next day we talked to one another and we put a whole presentation together and, uh, you know, he's again, sent it through departmental channels and it got taken right to Lorne Michaels' office, to Lorne Michaels' right-hand man. But Daryl Hammond, who was a cast member at SNL, who had left the mm -hmm. cast and did a couple of things and had some success, but kind of fell on hard times, was still sort of available to Lorne and to the cast. And um, he would come in from time to time. And there were a few times when Don Pardo was legitimately sick or had laryngitis. And, you know, Daryl does a great Don Pardo. One night, he even did a skit with, I think it was actress Jill Claiborne, in which it was supposed to be Don Pardo hitting on her to go out on a date, but it was actually uh, um, Daryl Hammond who did the voiceover. Daryl's voiceover of Don Pardo was so convincing that when Don Pardo called his sisters the following day to say, hey, what did you think of my bit last night on the show? They were like, oh, you were in better voice than ever. You sounded great, fantastic. Well, <laughs> guess what? It wasn't me. It was Daryl Hammond. <laughs> Love it. So, you know, I, we kind of all sort of knew that when Don Pardo passed, that it was sort of going to be to Daryl Hammond. And I didn't really think anything of it, even though we mounted a full court press. You know, I had FedEx packages going to Mr. Michael's home in Southampton, Long Island and his apartment in Manhattan and to Broadway video because, you know, you want to cover all bases. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity <laughs> to replace a legendary announcer. 
And the whole thing ended and Daryl Hammond was the announcer. And then I heard him on there and really didn't hear anything. And then one day uh, I got a call from my buddy and he says, hey, I just want to let you know, I got an inner office email and it was so-and-so who's Mr. Michael's right-hand man. Mr. Michaels heard your materials and he said, if we weren't going to go with Daryl, well, we would go with Bob. And that was like, wow. wow, you know, well, thank you very much. That's a great honor. And I really appreciate that because as a kid, we would go to New York for Christmas time. We'd always go to Rockefeller Center and NBC and take the tour. We would see the Christmas tree and go to Radio City Music Hall. So for me, that whole New York radio and television experience is foundational in me being who I am today. When I was a child, my mother would turn to me as an infant and say, do you want me to put the radio on? And she tells the story that my first word as a human was actually radio. I said, radio, <laughs> put on the radio. Wow. I didn't say mommy or daddy. I said radio. So... <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> So you're living out your dreams, your childhood dreams, Bob. And before we get going here, if somebody else is looking to get into affiliate work, uh, what couple of little tips might you give them when they're seeking out their uh, affiliate stations? Do they need to get an agent specific to that? Do they market uh, directly? What's your advice? I'll tell you what I do and what I still do. You want to reach out directly to the people at the television stations who are making the decision on who to hire as the station voice. Because of downsizing and because of the changing economy and because affiliates basically were developed to deliver the the network programming, which kind of ended in the last couple of years when via the internet, now any studio, any network can deliver product like you deliver your podcast. We all have the ability to be a network. We all have the ability to do that now, whether it be through YouTube or podcasting or whatever. So uh, things have changed at affiliate stations a little bit and are changing more. Television stations are kind of going away slowly. Are we going to ever live in a country in our lifetime in which there will no longer be broadcast television stations? Probably not. But the, the course to take is to reach out to the general manager, the creative service director, the promotions director, the marketing manager, possibly even the news director. Because at varying stations based upon market size, if you're talking about New York City or Los Angeles, the number one and number two market, you have all of those people at those stations. And the decision on who will be the voice of the station is primarily decided by the creative service director, the promotions director, the news director, and the general manager, and probably a team of other people and consultants who will actually focus and research a number of voices to see who tests best for that station and their demographic. Meanwhile, if you're in market, you know, 50 plus, one person is probably doing three or four of those jobs alone. So you might have somebody who's the marketing director, who is also creative service director, promotions manager, and might even be, you know, deputy uh, general manager or assistant news director. <laughs> These are the people who are going to select. Now, if you come from radio and you are only accustomed to being a radio announcer, you do need more the skills of a voiceover actor. That's really what you, you want to focus on. You want to be a voice actor. Because again, like we talked about earlier, you're doing a lot of different reads and that's really critical to helping the station win. So reaching out to the people at the television stations, you can do that pretty much online. Every station has a file with the Federal Communications Commission in which you can find out who people are at the station. Every television station in America is represented online, so you can, re you can research towns and find out 
Oh, uh, Channel 7 in my town has a promotions director and a general manager, but nobody else, so I'll send my materials to the promotions director. Uh, in that, you need a demo that's most likely online, primarily on your website. I think a nice website that shows your skills and your talents and your abilities that does a nice job of representing you, uh, where there's a short demo, somewhere between 60 and 90 seconds in length. And you normally do two types of demo. You normally do a demo that's news-oriented and entertainment-oriented. You know, the news is just what you would hear. News opens, news bumps, news rejoins. Promos, uh, maybe a topical promo tonight coming up at six. Image promos, we're the best news team in town. Watch our team work, that kind of thing. On the other side of it is entertainment. Some stations use two different announcers. Today, um, thank God, there's lots of women who are working. There's lots of people of different ethnic origin, African-American, Latino-American that are working in Anglo broadcasting. And it's nice to have all those different uh, sounds and all those different ethnicities so, um, you know, you have both the news and you have both the entertainment demo that you want to present to those stations. The next thing that I normally do is I work within the budgets that the stations have, knowing that all television and radio stations today are you know, doing the best that they can do with what they have, but there's more and more downsizing. There's more and more sure. hubbing of stations where, you know, five television stations are operated from one site with one team of people. And, um, you know, you, you have to kind of work within those constraints. Wow, priceless information. I mean, that, that's so helpful right there in the past couple minutes. Wow, thanks so much. We appreciate all this info and love your stories. I'm sure you have tons of them, right? <laughs> well, thank you, Bobby. It's very kind of you. I feel like I'm going on and on and on. Now I want to hear your story, Bobby. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> Enough about me. <laughs> we'll have to get you to dig into the archives of the Middle Class VO podcast, Bob. Oh, no, I have. I've been enjoying them. I really have. You've got a great, you've got a great show. I love you know, I, I love the fact that John Cleese would come in to do your open like that. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> exactly. uh, we have context. <laughs> that is just oh. fantastic, man. Bob, thanks so much for your time. And um, if anybody, if there's uh, promotion directors, uh, station managers, anybody interested in hiring you, how can they find you? You can go to my YouTube channel on YouTube. Just search Mr. Bob Tracy. I know it sounds real formal, but that's the only one that YouTube would give me. Or you can just reach out to me at bobt528 at gmail.com bobt528 at gmail.com thank you so much man it's been a pleasure catching up with you and um uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime i would love it thanks kevin thanks bobby it's been a pleasure thanks so much Oh, so great to have Bob on. What what a talent. And uh, yeah, as we were talking about, you know, you have likely heard Bob in a market uh, where you are, as he is quite prolific in the affiliate uh, television world, Bobby. Makes me want to get right to work on on trying to get some jobs with those tips he gave us. Oh, yeah. And just great tips he gave us. And uh, just it was such a pleasure to have him on. And uh I guess we'll do it again, Bobby. Yeah. Until next week. You can uh, always catch us on iTunes, Podbean, Twitter. We're everywhere. Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and others. We appreciate you listening to the Middle Class VO Podcast, and we will catch you on the flip side. (laughs) Bye-bye.
The Middle Class VO Podcast is a K2 Media Productions production. All views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests. The McVob Jingle was written and produced by Kevin. Co-produced and performed by Chloe Dolandis. Additional engineering by Zach Zimmett. Bobby's Hair and Makeup by Rebecca Adlita. Kevin's Wardrobe by Slippery Pete's Fashion Emporium. All previous episodes are available for download on Podbean. For the Middle Class VO Podcast, I'm Tracy Thibodeau. I'm Lisa Lou Perry. Thanks for listening. And don't miss the next episode of the Middle Class VO Podcast. The Middle Class VO Podcast. <laughs> it's Saturday Night Live with Vanessa Bayer, Taryn Killam. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Timberlake. WCCB Charlotte CW presents The Mad Monster Party. A horror and pop culture con. March 25th through the 27th with celebrities from Star Wars, Star Trek, Deadpool, Frozen, Goodfellas, A Clockwork Orange, and more. Tickets now on sale at madmonsterparty.com. Presented by WCCB Charlotte CW.